You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Good morning to you. I invite you to take your scriptures. Hopefully you have a Bible with you. If not, use one from the chair. If you need one, we have them. We want you to be in the Word. But find Romans chapter 5 as we come to God's Word. We come to a time where we get to study and think about what He has written. While you're heading to Romans 5, we'll be in verse, well, I'm going to start in verse 1, but verse 6. Um, I didn't have a picture from last week from any kid, but I think it worked out. I've got a picture of my own here. That's not very exciting for you. Uh, it's more exciting when kids draw the pictures. Uh, this is my little drawing of two words, apostles and prophets, because I have a correction to make from last week. So yes, preachers make mistakes and are fallible. We'll talk about that. But last week, um, we were looking through Ephesians in chapter 2, talking about our, the peace we have with Christ and our access to God uh, in one spirit to the Father. And I've got verse 20 on the, on the screen here as it refers to these, these members of the household of God. Verse 20, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone what I mentioned last week is we went over that, and it, you probably, maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't. I said, I think these prophets are referring to the writings of the Old Testament. That was kind of just a glance, and yeah, I think that's, well, upon further study, I need to correct myself, and uh, I think it's, it's, not even think, I think it is, it is the prophets of the New Testament era, of Paul's era. So you've got apostles there, kind of like disciples. We think of the disciples of Jesus, or Paul himself, an apostle. Some people maybe put these together, but um, there's a separation. So prophets being prophets in the New Testament era. Well, that said, I'm not super clear on all of well, what are those prophets about in the New Testament era? Some of you might have different thoughts on prophets. At least the scriptures tell us, um, Paul, in fact, tells us they were gifts to the church, these prophets. And they were instrumental in, even if you use the book of Ephesians 3 to kind of understand what prophets were, they were part of this revelation of the mystery of Christ in, in that period, in that day, to reveal Christ to the people. Now, the debate becomes, are they for today and all that? And you can get into that, and it's been debated. I, I think I'm leaning towards a, a ceasing of that prophet role. Uh, we have the written word of God. We have it before us, but some would see a continuance of that role. I'm not fully settled uh, either way on that, more for me to develop, but at least you have that correction. So I don't think prophets, at least there, is referring to Old Testament. Uh, why does that matter? Because it, it matters what I preach, it matters what you hear, uh, and it's good to know, not that you, for me to, you know this already, your pastor is, as I said, fallible. There are mistakes that will come and have come out of these words of my mouth. The beautiful thing, you have the word of God, the infallible, without error word before you. So test me. That's hard to say, isn't it? That's a hum. Humbling statement, test, discern, but look at what I'm saying. It Does it come from God's Word? Is it backed up there? And if not, then go, well, that was a pretty good sermon, but you, kind of, you lost it there. Uh, that's okay, that's going to happen, but thankfully, the Word you have is our steady anchor. Be discerning, come to the Word, not to your pastor. But hopefully, overall, we're, we're aiming towards what does the Word say? 
But don't be afraid to say, I see the word here, this looks different, and to challenge that. All right, that's all an introduction to get to us in Romans 5. So, all right, and you're hoping next week, well, maybe not, that the kids will have a drawing next week, but I would have shared that anyway. So, all right, we're in chapter 5. Let's listen now to the Word of God. We're going to start back where we were last week, verse 1, and now we're going to go through verse 11. So our, our study today is 6 through 11, but let's just come back to the beginning. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray once again. Lord, as we come to your word, would you again, having said what I've talked about already, would you guide my words even to be words that support and strengthen us as we look at the, your word, the word of God. Help us to be discerning. Help us to be thoughtful, to use the mind you've given us, to reason well, and the spirit that you've given us to understand the things of you. And there are beautiful things in all of your word and in these few verses we have this morning. We pray that your spirit would be poured into us greater, that we would understand the much more that we have in Christ. All praise to you. May you guide our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we read from verses 1 through 5, and they have already laid some groundwork for where we're at in verses 6 through 11 and following. I'm interested, though, in verse 5 in particular. It's going to kind of lead into the rest of our passage here, so we're going back just a bit. And there are some interesting pairings of time in verse 5. Think about time. In verse 3, there was sufferings. There's this idea to rejoice in suffering that eventually produces hope, which is, we think of hope as a future thing. I mean, we, we might presently hope, but it looks towards a, there's a future. A hope looks towards future things. But then we're told in verse 5 that hope uh, doesn't disappoint or put us to shame because of something in the present. And that is that the verse says there, through, uh, through God's Holy Spirit, his love has been and is presently, that's the, that's the idea, has been poured. It has been and is presently poured into our hearts through the Spirit. So there's a future hope, and it's based on a present 
reality going on. Now, Questions of the Holy Spirit, I, the go-to book for me is Sinclair Ferguson, and he has said this in regards to the Holy Spirit, uh, other than the Scriptures where they talk about the Spirit, uh, a book uh, from another writer. He says this, To have the Spirit is to have not only the guarantee of the final redemption, think of future, but to possess already that which, or better, the one who is definitive of that final condition. So to possess already the one who is definitive of that final condition, namely the Spirit of Christ. He goes on to say, we experience the richness of the love of God in the Spirit now as well as then. And so he adds this regarding God's love that we're going to look at today. He says, the proof and measure of this love, even I think the love of verse 5, is that Christ died for sinners while they were still ungodly and weak. The present experience of Christ by the Spirit is a foretaste of the future fullness. So God's Holy Spirit brings the future near in the now. And verses 6 through 11 take up this theme. You've heard it before. We've talked about it, the already and the not yet. It's the already. What is now? What can we celebrate now, today? Why can we sing now? And then the not yet. What will be? What is coming? What does this love of God look like? And so let's go into our passage in particular, verse 6. And actually here we see some time stamps of the past. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now the first word, at least in the English Standard Version, is for, and you've got to, gives us a clue. Paul is kind of going on. He's explaining what he's just said, for. So how can we rejoice in hope? Through God's love poured out by His Spirit, let's think on what Christ has done. So he goes from God's love poured out Spirit to what has Christ done. You see the Trinitarian aspect again of this Gospel. And, and it is what He has done while, while we were yet sinners. Verse 6 calls us, another name for it here is weak, still weak. The word there, weak, is defined as helpless in a moral sense. Helpless in a moral sense. So this weakness is, this is not whether you were weak and you could not bench 100 pounds. That's not the weakness that he's talking about here. There's a moral weakness. We are weak to follow all of God's ways. You start going through the commandments and through the Scriptures. If you ever read the lists of things, do not be angry, malice, even Paul's uh, lists and Uh, Chapter 1, thinking of slanders, gossips, haughty, inventors of evil, disobedient, foolish, faithless, all these things, we are morally weak to follow God. Helpless, really. While we were that, notice the time stamp, at the right time, Christ died. The right time for Christ to die was while we were weak. If you know Christ, the time of your weakness. That's when Christ died for you. And then we're further called. We're called weak and we're called the, the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Now, the, the Greek word and the English are kind of not letter-wise similar, but 
but you've got this ungodly, and we can separate that word into two parts. You've got the un part and then the, the godly part. And the un has that idea of not or without or that negative sense, so ungodly without godliness, or you think of something, you go, that's, um, it's uncommon, which we would say it's not common. It's, a, it, it's negative. And so, but interestingly, the, the, the word here for godly, the ungodly, has this idea of worship, that we were, we were without the worship of God. Uh, one definition here, of godly at least, has that expressing one's devotion to deity or worship. So the un makes it without. We were without expressing worship to God. Do you see who Christ died for here? He died for the ungodly, the non-worshippers. They were without honoring God, worshiping him, and that's when he died. Not, not when we were strong, but when we were weak. That's when he died. Not while we were in worship, but while we were without worship of God, worshiping other things. Well, to drive this home, Paul illustrates uh, those who might die among men. Who might die for men? That's verse 7. Kind of an illustration to help us think this through. So look at verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. You've got two people presented here, the righteous person and the good person. And there's some debate. Are they the same person? Are they different? Uh, Doug Moo thinks, I think he leans towards they're different. And he says this to help us think on this, this who, are, who are they? Who's a righteous person? And then there's a good person. And are they the same, different? Here's what he says. I think it can be helpful to us to think through these people. He says, well, the righteous person would be one who is just and upright in his dealings and would therefore have some claim on our respect, the good person would be one for whom we have a strong personal attachment and for whom, therefore, we would be more willing to die. I think of that righteous person as someone that, boy, they are righteous, they're upright, they do everything the right way. That's, it, it seems like someone ought to die for that kind of person, whereas the good person has that idea somebody wants to die for the good person. There's, there's some, for lack of better, you, you see some, there's some value for dying for this one who is good. Yes, the righteous is upright in that, but this good person, you know, and you hear that if you, they were such a good, he was such a good person, kind of that sense there. But what does the text say of even this good person? The dying for that person is, it's perhaps. So you've got, You've got timestamps like rare or scarcely, and then a perhaps, maybe, maybe at some point. And again, we just can't get away from this, I think, a time factor Paul is introducing in verse 6. This while we were weak and ungodly, Christ died for us. Here in verse 7, the dying for a righteous person, it's, it's rare, it's, it's a perhaps. How, you know, how often does that happen? Not very often. And the contrast then is to be seen in Christ. And it's being put together as it leading us towards verse 8. So while the righteous person or the, the, the good person here, there, there's some worth in, in some sense of dying for them. That's, that's not how God loved his own. Look at what he explains 
in verse 8, the contrast here of this. Maybe for a good, and now verse 8, you've got a but God. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 8 is the contrast of verse 7, and I think it's the center point of this whole section that verses 6 and 7 are flowing into it, and then verses 9 and 11 are flowing out of it. To those who are morally weak and ungodly, they have not honored, they have not worshipped God, they have no claim on righteousness or even goodness while we were still, while we were in, time stamp, temporary, we were that case, that condition, while that Christ died for us. And this is a demonstration of God's love. The idea here, you've got at least the ESV says shows, or maybe you have the word demonstration. God demonstrates his love. Interesting definition. It's the causing something to be known by action. Causing something to be known by an action. You know, we all experience this. It might be one thing to say to somebody, I love you. And we would look at sometimes people and go, that's easy to say. What, what proves that love? The action does. Do they follow through on that? It's one thing to, to say that, but does that continue? Does that play out in their lives? Does it look like that? God here is in action. He shows his love in action. And I mentioned it there. Did you hear it? God shows his love. It's the love of God. It's personal Someone's not making, you know, God, you better love these sinners. This is probably a good thing you ought to do. This is God himself. It is his love emanating from him, comes from his heart to love his own before he, before the foundation of the world, choosing his own. And so it's a self-demonstration here. Maybe 1 John comes to mind, 1 John 4, where it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. He is the source of it. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then 1 John 4, 9 says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. Think of the demonstration. I don't think it's the same Greek word there, but that idea of, again, revealing, manifest, showing, demonstrating. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. We've seen that in Romans. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's that word again. Now, There's some application because John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's its own application in that. You've been loved by God, you sinner, enemy, that we'll see. Oh, can we love those that come against us? Well, our condition, Paul has labored in this letter to the Romans to make this known. It is one of, there's a couple words to describe our condition without Christ transgressors, our trespasses, we've fallen short. Words like lawlessness, we're deserving of God's wrath, we're without good. All in all, we are in sin. 
And that's the condition by which God comes to love us. And so Christ dies for us. Christ did not die for those who looked good. He died for those who looked bad and were bad. He did not die for the righteous, but for the lost. To grant them righteousness that they might be sons of God. That we might be with Him forever. To worship Him forever. And so we come to verses 9-11. through I mentioned that kind of flowing out here. Now we come into this, how much more? This is like a cup overflowing. That's full. And this is just how much more? More than that. Over and over. Here is what you have. Relish in this. Rejoice in this. Now look at verse, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Now, let's look at the first part. Grammar matters, and it matters because it says how we've been justified. We have now been justified. We have been declared righteous in the courtroom of God. Past tense. It's happened. It's complete. One theologian, Louis Burkhoff, says this. He says, justification takes place once for all. It is not repeated. Neither is it a process. It is complete at once and for all time. There is no more or less in justification. Man is either fully justified or he is not justified at all. In distinction from it, sanctification is a continuous process which is never completed in this life. So there's the growing in godliness, the growing in holiness that the Spirit does in us. The justification is that that one time, that declaration declared righteous in the courtroom of God. And the basis of it is the blood of Christ shed on the cross. That's what the verse says, justified by His blood. So all things at once, justified by faith. Faith in what? Faith in, in Christ, and it's by His blood foreshadowed in the sacrifices of the, of the Old Testament, fulfilled in the one who John called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So God, therefore, is just to declare us righteous, not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of Christ's death in our place, substituting for us and our penalty. And so verse 9 says, we've now been that, and then much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. And this, this wrath of God, I think, has that idea of, of a wrath of God yet to come. So there's a, there's a future aspect, as Milt was reading from Revelation, and you read through the book of Revelation, you see that, that coming, that wrath and that destruction yet to come. But in Christ, that cup of wrath has already been poured out on Christ, not us, in our place. I think this is what Jesus' prayer, when he prays in Gethsemane, that prayer, um, as he would be betrayed. Mark 14, 36, you could find it in Matthew 26 as well. But he prays there, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. This is before he goes to the cross. He says, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I think cup language, maybe not everywhere, but it, it's, it's wrath, cup of wrath. Language. I forget what chapter in Jeremiah we just, if you're reading through the Bible, you read about a cup of wrath of God. And so Stephen Lee writes this. He says, Jesus, 
drank the cup of God's wrath for us so that he could extend the cup of God's fellowship to us. It might include suffering, but not wrath. We don't get wrath anymore. Now we get God. We get the sweet, satisfying reality of his eternal fellowship in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Justified, complete, saved, thinking maybe future here, saved from the wrath of God. Now look into verse 10. For if while we were, here we go, we got language again. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So verse 10 seems to put some sort of explanation on verse 9 and almost seems parallel to it. Verse 9, those justified by his blood will be saved from that wrath. In verse 10, those enemies who have been reconciled by Jesus' death shall be saved by his life. And this idea of reconciliation comes up here. It's explained in terms of those once enemies are now made friends. That's the idea of reconciliation. One definition uh, for it. In fact, you see the word used three times here. Uh, Twice here in verse 10, and then another time even in verse 11. One definition describes it as, what is this reconciliation? That we have been reconciled. One definition says it's the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. There was hostility and it's exchanged. And now there is friendship. So Doug Moo writes this, helping us justification, reconciliation. Um, I think somewhere he points out, There's not justification, and then the next level is reconciliation. These are all things, all true at the same time. But he says, justification language is legal, law court language, picturing the believer being declared innocent by the judge. Reconciliation language, on the other hand, comes from the world of personal relationships. So you you go from courtroom, praise God, we're declared righteous to this reconciliation, enemy made a friend. You know, that that song, uh, I think we we sing it here, Jesus, thank you. It says, once your enemy, now seated at your table. The idea of eating, once an enemy, now we can sit at a table. There's fellowship. We'll sit at tables today. Lord willing, you can all come. If you didn't bring food, come to the park. And we will have fellowship. We will sit at a table. And I think a picture of us having fellowship together, of the fellowship we have in God through Christ. Well, again, just as we, uh, I think verse 9, we've got the, the much more language. Verse 10, as we read through, we've got it there as well, this much more language. So if, verse 10, if Jesus' death on the cross reconciled us to God, then how much more is the hope and surety of our salvation all caught up in the life of the Son? And and here I'm just, I don't know for sure, but it seems like Paul's, almost we could pull back to Romans 4.25 again. Remember what it said there? Maybe your page is right there. Talked about Jesus raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, verse 25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
So now we've, we've got this justification, reconciliation with our God. Much more, Jesus' life, he lives, and it assures us of this future salvation on the day of judgment. We are reconciled, friends of God, loved by him, and we don't need to fear the future in Christ. And so this reconciliation is cause for rejoicing, and that is what Paul does. Verse 11 points us that way. More than that. You see, hey, and then there's more, and then there's more, and then there's more. And so he says, verse 11, more than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The ESV says, begins a sentence, this verse, more than that, or you could translate it as not only, but also. And again, you've got this idea of more. And the truths of our justification, our reconciliation, our salvation overflow into rejoicing. In verse 2 of this chapter, we rejoice. Now you might see, this is the third time. In verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. And here in verse 11, I think maybe climatically, we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ. But this rejoicing has an object, a a, a terminus, if I'm using the word right, a, a focal point, and that is God himself. That is where the rejoicing is aimed at and in in who we rejoice. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. He has done great things, many things, much more things because he loves sinners like you and like me. I want to think here a little bit and be cautious of wrong thinking about the love of God here just to help us think through this. The the danger, think, and maybe it's in our culture, maybe I'm just thinking of it in that terms of the focal point of, of God's love can just center all on us, where, where we become the end point of God's love, the, the terminus. Um, perhaps it's the sentiment, you know, no, nobody's perfect, but, but God loves everybody. God loves you, and, and you become the center of this, the center point of God's love. Is that true? Does God love you? Absolutely aboundingly in grace, he loves you. But it's not for you to go, oh, look at how he loves me. I Look at me. It, it doesn't stop there. It's, oh, rejoice in that. And where does that rejoicing lead to? The praise of our God. Love's purpose is the restoration of, think of these descriptions in this passage we've been in. It's the restoration of the morally weak of the ungodly who, who don't worship God. It's the restoration to worship, to be godly, to look to Him, to obey Him, and to worship Him, obeying His will, where He strengthens us to serve Him and to grow by His Spirit, to grow in what? In holiness and in godliness. And we worship when we suffer for His sake. So may our restoration to God in Christ, may we experience that that love of God in Christ demonstrated on the cross. Him showing His love to us. Don't take away from this, well, God doesn't love me, you know, I don't want to get to... God loves sinners. That's, that's what Paul is getting at here. 
but that the rebound of that is praise. It rebounds to the praise and glory of Him, not us. As we draw to a close here, there are really only two ultimate destinations for the human soul. That destination being one, the presence of God, where we who have been washed in the blood of Christ may enjoy His presence. That song, Your Face is All I Seek, that we will see that face one day as we're in glorified bodies and to enjoy God forever with infinite joy, one destination, or two, the other destination where we will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. I think it's First Thessalonians that talks about that, or Second Thessalonians. Now, J.I. Packer writes of hell, and you're going, how do we get to hell from here? Well, we talk about wrath and those sorts of things. But he writes of this, and I think it fits with what we've been studying. Listen to this description of hell. The concept of hell, J.I. Packer says, is of a negative relationship to God and experience not of his absence so much as of his presence in wrath and displeasure. And then he has previously stated at another place, he says, as heaven will be better than we could dream, and we could fill in here, Paul would say, it's much more. As heaven is the much more, so hell will be worse than we can conceive. It's not filled with funny-looking devils. It's worse, infinitely worse in the wrath and punishment of God. So the much more goes either way. In Christ, loved by Him, called to live for Him and to look to Him by faith, much more, much more. Your reconciled enemies have become friends. Not in Christ. Gospel, why do I need that? Why do I need Jesus? I like how I live. I'm okay. I do enough things. Much more the wrath and punishment and eternal destruction of God for eternity. Not just a a bad day. It's like your bad day a million times, times a million, four times a million, and into eternity. What is your destination? And upon what, or maybe we should say, who are you hoping VBS this week was about treasures, treasuring Jesus above any other person or thing. The truth of Romans 5, 6 through 11 here points out while we were weak and ungodly and in sin and enemies of God, in that state Christ died for us. A love that died on the cross for his own and lives again for his own, that we might have a hope both presently. A now, you see that? Even the end of verse 11, through whom we we have now received reconciliation and a future hope as well. And in all of this, may we not glory in just, you know, what a fine specimen God has saved. I knew He was going to save me. I am such, I I am getting there. We want to glory and boast in Christ. He is through, it's like Paul is at pains to say, through whom? Through whom? Through whom? Like, do you get the message? This is not through you and your goodness and your godliness. It's through Christ. In Christ, our justification, our reconciliation are sure in this love of God toward us. And so in Christ, we have a sure hope. Everything is central to Christ, and so we want to rejoice in Him. Let's pray.
Father, we were. But in Christ, we are. Lord, I I pray that for those that are in sin and running happily in godlessness without you, that sin is, is okay and maybe we'll just take a little bit of God, a little bit of the Bible and a little bit of the world and we'll be fine. Lord, draw that particular heart to Christ and to, to see their own sin and to see the Savior and to run to Him. Lord, for us that know Christ and we could say our eternal destination is secure in Christ, then Lord, restore to us that joy of salvation daily, Lord, for we are so forgetful and so prone to wander and so prone to find this pleasure in the things of earth, to, to focus on those and lose sight of the rejoicing we can have in our, in our reconciliation now with the God of the universe now and in the future, secured by Jesus Christ. So it's to your name, Jesus We give all praise and glory and honor. And Lord, where we have not honored your name, forgive us. And thank you for the surety that this passage gives us, that even while in sin, you loved us. Lord, if we are caught in a sin and we are struggling, may that truth burn into our hearts by your Spirit, your love poured out, pointing us to the cross of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.